At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning to worship together. Love that. I want to begin by mentioning three key words. Three words. The words are excitement, enthusiasm, and eagerness. All begin with an E. Excitement, enthusiasm, and eagerness. Now, the truth is, many of those things that I just mentioned, those three words, gets stirred up in our hearts when we're doing the thing that we love most. Those things in our lives that we love create in us a sense of excitement, a sense of enthusiasm, and a sense of eagerness. Now, if you know me at all, uh, you know a few things are important to me and kind of fit into that category, so I'll just share a few of those. When a friend says, hey, do you want to go to the Tigers game? I get excited. Not this year as much, but I, I get excited. I get fired up with enthusiasm when I get the opportunity to watch my kids doing what they enjoy, whether that's sports or art or just having fun with friends. That is something that I get fired up about. I have a measure of enthusiasm. And even right now, when I look at the summer calendar, I look forward to uh, our family trip that we always take to my hometown of Ludington. That's something that I have eager anticipation for. The beach, the shops, the ice cream. Can't wait. But those are just things that get me fired up. Those are things that I have excitement about and enthusiasm about and eagerness about. You guys have those same things in your lives too. The fact is, is many of you can't wait to get to the golf course. Can't wait till the sun comes out and the weather warms up a little bit and you can start regularly hitting the course. Maybe it's a juicy steak dinner on the grill with friends from your life group. Can't wait to sit outside on the deck and experience that together. Or maybe, maybe there's many of us here who just can't wait to do that thing that we used to do when we would go to concerts and actually see people perform live in concert. For many of us, these are the things that create a measure of excitement, a measure of enthusiasm, a measure of eagerness. So what are those things in your life? What gets your heart racing? What gets your mind wandering in this moment? No, i got to warn you, we're only like three minutes into the sermon, so I don't want you to wander too much. Don't go too far off. But I do want you to be thinking about those things. But as you're thinking about those things, I can, I can pretty much assure you that what we're looking at today was not listed among the things that you're excited or that you're eager about. I'm guessing that not one person here, not one person watching us and joining us online in worship had giving on that list. Like, man, I am excited, I am fired up to give what God has first provided for me. 
And yet today, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that challenges us into that kind of emotion when we consider the riches that we've received in Christ. We're going to be called to look at what the Apostle Paul challenges us, to have that kind of eagerness in our spiritual lives. And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians in just a moment, but before we do, let's pray together. Gracious, heavenly, holy Father, we pause now to just acknowledge that those things are true. We pause to acknowledge you today that you are in fact holy and worthy of our praise. In a world that seems to be spinning out of control, God, as we look and we see the numbers of this, of this illness climbing and climbing in the state of Michigan again, God, our hearts are breaking once again for people who are ill, for the medical community who's caring for those people, for people in our own church family who have, who've been ill. God, we thank you for bringing them back to health, God. But we continue to lift those people up in the midst of our world. And we do so because you are holy. Because you hear our prayers. And you answer them. Maybe not in the way that we would wish. Maybe not in the way that we would expect. And yet, we come to you to cry out to you. And so, God, we do that right now in the midst of worship. We cry out to you that as we open your word, God, that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would minister to each of our hearts today on such an important topic. So God, we need eyes to see the truth that's found in your word today. We need ears to hear this truth and then humble, genuine hearts that are surrendered to you to live out the truth that we're going to be confronted with today. Do that in each one of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, this morning we are continuing our overflow sermon series where we're taking a deep dive, uh, special uh, focus on 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, obviously, that is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Now, what the apostle is doing is he's writing to firmly establish that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the foundation upon which the Corinthian believers and all of us who are reading this letter should, in fact, excel in giving. It should be something that we excel in doing, that we put into practice consistently and faithfully. Now, the reason he says this is because Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross as payment for your sin and for my sin should lead us to have that passion. It should cause us to be burdened for others in need. You see, the fact is, we can and should desire to be a blessing to other people. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. If you have received the goodness of God's grace in your life, you should in fact care about the, the needs of others and the advancement of the gospel. We know this because that's the path of blessing. 
We've talked about this in each of the past couple of weeks. That is the path of blessing. It comes from God and His goodness. What we've received in Christ comes to us, God's people, and then through us, it is given to all as a means of blessing our world. As I have said each of the past couple Sundays, Paul is, in fact, writing to encourage believers to maintain that passion. What they have experienced, he's acknowledging that they have, in fact, experienced that in Christ. And he's saying, I want you to maintain that passion for the advancement of the gospel. And you can do that through giving, through the financial needs of a church in Jerusalem. And he's going to continue that narrative today. So let's grab our Bibles. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 10. It's kind of in the middle of the paragraph there. If you were following along in your ESV Bible, that is on page 968. And uh, a couple of friends pointed out to me recently, hey, Pastor Rob, like there's no Bibles underneath. I-, I know that. But the reason I highlight this is because I hope that many of you have your own Bible and many of you are actually reading through the Bible that we're using. So it's 968 in your ESV Bible, and if you're using a phone app, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 10. Here's what Paul writes. And in this matter, I give my judgment that this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also you desired to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness." Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that in the abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. He continues. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you on his own accord. With him, with Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim that what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also we desire to do what is honorable in the sight of men. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of this great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and he's my fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. You see, the apostle continues his focus of encouraging the Corinthians into the 
financial support for the needs of this church. He's continuing that narrative, and you'd say, Pastor, I'm ready to move on from that narrative. There's still much for us to learn. You see, what he's already done is he's already stressed, stressed the motivation. We've looked at that each of the past couple weeks. It is not dutiful. It is not some sort of manipulative arm twisting that Paul is doing. What he's saying is rather it is the joy that we have as Christ followers to give. It's the joy that we have, that we have in a, in a shared relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's from that that we seek to be a blessing. Now remember, Paul has a history with these people. He knows them well. They know him well. He knows their hearts to give. Yet because of some issues that they've had, some relational issues about the authority that he has within the context of the church, they've held back a little bit. They've sort of waited. And so he continues to communicate based on what Christ has done for you. The amazing riches of what you have in God's grace, this should be an overflow to what we give away, to generous giving. So once again, Paul has established the motivation. Now he moves to the practice. We've got the motivation down. Now Paul says, I want us to focus on the practice of how this is going to play out. And so that's going to be our focus today, the practice of how to administer the giving. So let's dig a bit deeper. Let's start at verse 10. It says, and in this manner, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started, stated not only that to do this work, but also to desire to do this work. So Paul is clearly communicating in this text that they have a readiness to give. They're ready to do it. But they haven't. They are ready to give to the needs of this other church, and yet they haven't actually done it. You guys identify with that at all? I don't know, maybe a house project? Maybe an old friend that you'd say, man, I need to call that guy. I haven't talked with him in years. I really need to call that person. You know, this person has been such a blessing to me. I should, I should show them how much I appreciate them. I should give them a gift. Yet days, weeks, maybe even years go by, and that thing remains undone. You guys identify with that at all? Please tell me you identify with that little moment of transparency, if you come to my house right now, you'll find one of these things. You'll come up to our front door, go to press the doorbell, nothing happens. You know why? I haven't finished the job. You come to our house and there's two little wires sticking out of the wall. Million reasons of why I didn't do it. Millions of excuses that I could come up with. Well, it's cold outside. It's, it's winter. Who's coming to the front door anyway? I can come up with a, a ton of excuses, and yet the reality is I haven't done it. I have the tools. I have the new doorbell. I'm ready. But it remains unfinished. This happens in our spiritual lives too, doesn't it? 
I mean, we can talk about the practical things like a doorbell, and you probably have some house projects. Guys, sorry to kind of pick on you, but I'm pretty sure you probably have a few house projects that you could take care of this afternoon, really. But this happens in our spiritual lives too. It's not just the practical stuff. It's the stuff in our spiritual lives where we say, someday I'm going to get serious about my own holiness. Someday I am going to take that step and I'm going to pray with my spouse. I'm going to pray with my wife. Someday I'm going to do that. You know, I've been thinking that when I walk in the church entrance and that family entrance, man, there is a lot of kids over there. Someday I should step up and serve there. Someday I should start giving. I mean, God has blessed me with a lot. Someday I should kind of take that step of faith. I haven't maybe been at this church very long. Maybe I need to to step out and give generously, and yet someday never seems to come. Oftentimes our intentions fail to lead to action happens in our day-to-day lives, and it happens in our spiritual lives as well. So this is what Paul is addressing. Listen to, chat, listen to verse 11. He says, your readiness in desiring may it be matched by your completing it. <laughs> yeah, you're ready. Are you going to do it? You're ready. And what Paul is speaking to the Corinthian believers, and he's speaking to all of us today, and the call is this, believer, do something. Put the readiness into action in our daily, weekly lives. Do something. And in this case, as we have just seen, Paul is exhorting the believers to stop thinking about it and start doing it, start giving to the needs of others. But this leads us to a practical question, doesn't it? What does it look like? What does it look like for Christ followers to do something in 2021? How are we supposed to put into practice what the apostle is teaching the Corinthians and to us today? What are we supposed to do about this practically? I love what he says in verses 12 through 14. He kind of digs in a little deeper. He says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable to give according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Pause. Quick summary. God does not ask you to, be, to go beyond what you have. He's not asking you to. Because he's not provided, he doesn't expect you to give out of something you don't have. You're not supposed to borrow money so you can give to the church. But there's a nugget of truth in this text that is also so incredibly rich. You don't have to give from being independently wealthy. You don't have to wait and say, well, I need a little bit more. And then once I reach that kind of financial bar, that is when I will give. It's not what it says. For if the readiness is there, It is acceptable to give according to what a person has. 
every one of us in this room has something that God has provided. All of us. And so he's not saying, hey, wait until you store up a little bit more. Give what you have. Now let's be brutally honest. As we sit here in this room, some of us have more. And some of us have less. Those are realities in our world. Some of us have been blessed with a lot of financial resources. And some of us, not so much. And yet, we can all give to the needs of others for the advancement of the gospel. We can all give according to what we have. That is what God asks of us. Let's look back at our text, specifically verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Again, don't give so you crush yourself financially. But that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need. What God has given to you in abundance, others have need. So their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. You see, God has designed it in such a way that he has given people enough to supply the needs of the ministry of the church perfectly. He has supplied the needs of his people to do the work of the church, to advance the gospel in our world, and he's done so perfectly. And it's from these provisions. It's from the provisions that he has He has given to us that we're going to find the first of two ways that we can respond, practically speaking, and excel in the practice of giving. When we move from readiness to action and give with eagerness. When you and I move from the readiness into action and we give with a heart filled with joy, when we give from a posture of eagerness. Because if you're in Christ today, you're rich. If you are in Christ today, God has given you his common grace. He's blessed you in spiritual ways and in financial ways. It's just that simple. And our hearts should be filled with joy that we can give, that we can provide for the needs of others. You know, one of the things I like about this text, I really appreciate about what Paul says, is the way he challenges the believers in Corinth to give what they have, what he has laid upon their hearts. He doesn't outline some sort of percentage. He doesn't give some kind of formula. He says, I want you to give based on your desire, based on your eagerness. And that, friends, is a heart issue. That's a heart issue. We're not fulfilling some kind of rule and regulation. It's a heart issue of what we desire to do to be a blessing to others. Now, you've heard me say this in each of the past couple weeks, and I'm going to say it again. This is one of the reasons why I have been so encouraged by you, by our church family in this season. Because it is during this pandemic that we're actually exceeding our budget. 
I don't know if you guys pick up the bulletin, but in the bulletin there's this number that tells you what our goal is for the year, our projected budget, and then what our actual budget is. This year, we have exceeded our annual budget for this campus by 10%. Amen. And like Paul, we haven't pleaded, we haven't begged, haven't sought to burden you with some measure of guilt in this season. Instead, what you have done is you have given out of an abundance of what you have experienced, out of an abundance of what God has provided for you, and you've done it faithfully, and you've done it eagerly. If you hadn't, we wouldn't be at 110%. So thank you. Here's what that means. That means we as a campus have more resources to do more ministry, to have more gospel advancement in the year ahead. That's what that means. So when you give faithfully, when you give with joy in your heart to be a blessing to others, we can do things in this community that we could not do without your resources. So thank you for your continued faithfulness, and eagerness in giving. Now let's continue on in the text. Let's pick it up at verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Of his own accord. You see, Paul is referencing a trusted friend of his named Titus. Now remember, he's already addressed the motivation of giving, and so now we move into the practice, and that's why this call of Titus is really pretty significant in the text. You see, Titus was a man that Paul respected and the Corinthian believers respected. He was respected on both sides of that equation. Titus was also a man who was passionate about the advancement of the gospel. He wanted the financial resources that the Corinthians had to be transferred and to be given to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. Obviously, Paul had those same desires. So they worked together to make it happen. Let's continue in the text. And with them, we are sending, with Titus, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many manners. Matters, excuse me. But who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you? As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for the others, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. What's important for us to remember is that Paul's character had come into question. They were questioning his authority in the context of the church. So wisely, Paul didn't want that to be a hindrance for the advancement of the gospel. If I stand on this stage and I say, give me your money, I'm going to take it to this other church. And you don't trust me, that's a problem. That's what Paul is speaking into. So there's Titus. There's another brother who the Macedonian churches have chosen, and then there's a third brother in the faith. Paul puts them in place for a measure of accountability. He seeks to partner with them to bring a measure of checks and balances. And this helps us see the second way that believers, that you and I can excel in our giving when we work in partnership. 
When we work in partnership, we can excel in the practice of giving. You see, Paul brought others into the administration of these finances. And in doing so, there would be no question about the integrity of the gift getting to where it needed to go. By adding all these people that they respected, they were above reproach. There was accountability. There was integrity in partnership. But I want you to know that wasn't the only benefit of having a gospel-centered partnership. When Paul built the team, he looked a little deeper. and You and I can look a little deeper as well. Because what he does in that text is he highlights a few specific character qualities of the partnerships that he was looking for. So let's look at those a little more closely. In verses 16 and 17, Paul describes Titus as having the same earnest care that I have for you. What does that mean? Well, that means that Titus and those of us who are looking for a partnership, we should care for people who desire spiritual maturity in you and in others. We should want to partner with people who care about spiritual maturity. And in verses 18 and 19, Paul describes the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. You and I should seek people who faithfully proclaim the gospel, who faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen. That should be a character quality that we seek in partnership. Then we get to verses 20 and 21. The apostle describes the goal of this team. It says, we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. We just talked about that for just a second. We should seek people who are honorable and have much respect. So we want people who care about spiritual maturity. We want people who can proclaim the gospel. We want people who can be honorable and respected because of their character. And then we get to verses 22 and 23. The apostle describes the other members of the team as messengers of the gospel. They are people who are active in their faith. They're not sitting aside, waiting. They are active in their faith. These are character qualities that we should look for in partnership. Now I want you to know these are things that you should expect from spiritual leaders. You should expect those qualities in spiritual leaders. Not only in that season, but in this season as well. And because you should expect them. That's why the Corinthians questioned Paul. That's why they struggled with him a little bit. And so that's why he sought to have that experience with the people that we talked about, with these character qualities, to work in partnership in the gospel. A church family in a few weeks, in May 16th specifically, Woodside Bible Church is going to be hosting something that we call our annual celebration. It's time for us to reflect as a church community throughout Metro Detroit, as a church family. It's a time for us to respect what God has done in us and through us. What God has done in our church family and through our church family. But something else happens at that annual celebration. And it should encourage you. Here's what happens. The budget is shared. The budget of Woodside Bible Church is shared to the entire congregation. Here's why that matters. 
That matters because we're seeking to be above reproach. You partner with us as a church in ministry. We partner with you in creating opportunities for the advancement of the gospel. And so we need to have open hands and an open book posture when it comes to our finances. And that's what we see and that's what you will hear when you go to the annual celebration. Some people might say, well, it seems like a meeting seems like an annual meeting more than it's a celebration. There's a segment of it that is because we're doing this. And because we do that, I want to recommend the annual celebration to you. You'd say, well, pastor, you're supposed to say that. I am. But I think it's also a place where you can get a strong picture of the partnership that we have in Christ. And I think when you hear the stories of what God is doing, when you see the way in which we're using our resources as a church, I think you'll have a measure of enthusiasm. You'll have a measure of eagerness. It might stir that up in your heart. I want to close together our our time with a quote from one of the most well-respected theologians of the past century, a guy by the name of J.I. Packer. Here's what he writes. He says, The ministry of giving in all forms aims to advance the kingdom of God, which becomes a reality in a human life when the values and the priorities of Christ's teachings are observed. All of God's people are meant to be involved. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.